Welcome to the Volusi Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. On more than one occasion, I have actually talked about being organized and productive. And you've probably heard enough about that. You don't really care anymore. This extends into other aspects of someone's life. When you try to be as organized as you can, it becomes almost a personality trait. It becomes a part of you. Now, this has led to some conflict in my life. You may go, well, how can being organized, because everyone respects that, being productive, how can that lead to difficulties? Because everyone wants to be organized and productive. You might say, oh, no, you're lying to yourself. Well, this has come down to something that has bothered people in my life for as long as I can remember. Specifically, it's had a negative impact on my personal relationships with girls, primarily girlfriends. They're the ones you tend to eat with. I, in general, eat my food clockwise. So I start at about the five o'clock mark, not six, not perfectly down, and then I will eat clockwise in a circle until I get back to five o'clock, in which case I have finished all the food on my plate and that meal is complete. For some reason, other people think this is their business. Other people think this is something they should comment on. Other people think they should get involved and try to change this behavior because to them, it's unusual. And this is, as I've said, primarily a difficulty for girlfriends who have to experience it multiple times and say it's weird. And when a girlfriend says to you something is unusual or something is strange or something is weird, what they're really saying is, oh my God, stop that, I don't like it. Because as we know, what girls want most in life is to change the men in their lives to make better men. But some things are inherent. Some things are your base nature. And me organizing things to make myself feel good is just part of who I am. Now, this started with one of my girlfriends, girlfriend in university, who noticed I ate in a clockwise pattern most of the time. And she took an interesting tack on this because she started experimenting with the placement of food. So if she made me dinner, she would place different foods on different areas to see if I would then jump around because maybe I wanted to eat all the the spicy food first, let's say, or all the bland food first and then, and then work my way up to spice. So she was kind of experimenting to see how the system worked. And the joke she made was that I would look at my plate and it would be like, it would suddenly switch to a Terminator readout and categorize the foods and, you know, create quadrants and then an attack plan to which I would then eat the foods on the plate. My pattern held true. I am if nothing, consistent. So I would eat from around the five o'clock area up around. Um, What I will do though, is there's a food that I want to eat first. And most people think this has something to do with taste, but actually for me, some foods taste better when they're hot. 
And so you don't you want to eat those first so they don't cool off and be the last thing you eat because they don't taste as good. Whereas other foods, it doesn't really matter as much if they've cooled down from when they are served. So she tried to see if she could get me to change my pattern. And then she decided she would start mixing the foods so that I couldn't actually pick which food I ate first, not realizing that that just falls into the pattern more smoothly because now no matter which food I eat, I'm eating a bit of everything at the time. So mixing the foods didn't change anything either. She wasn't angry, but you could see at times she grew frustrated with the fact that I was eating my food in this, what she considered to be an unusual way. As to my previous point though, some foods are better hot. When I would go to, let's say McDonald's, my girlfriend following that, she got annoyed that I ate all my French fries first and then would eat the hamburger. This does not fall under the clockwise pattern because you actually have, uh, if you have like a McDonald's meal or a fast food meal, the fries are in their own container and the hamburger is usually in its own container or wrapped up or something. So they are separate foods and thus in my mind should be eaten individually. But the French fries, do not taste as good when they're cold. So French fries must be consumed 100% first. The hamburger can cool off a little bit and still taste just as good, because let's face it, quality-wise, that doesn't make a huge difference. It was weird that that girlfriend, this is different from the first girlfriend, she got really annoyed with my first explanation of eating things in order, but then accepted my second explanation of it's better to eat the French fries first when they're hot, because that fell more in line with her way of thinking. So you can see the real problem here isn't, I like to live my life the way I like to live my life. It's that my reason for doing something didn't match up with her understanding of how things should be done. Now, the most unusual one, I think, for outsiders, normies, I don't know what you would call them, people who are not in my life, civilians, is when they discover that I, when I am given a package of M&Ms, We'll pour them all out and line them all up by color. And, and the ones I will eat first will be the ones with the most of one color. It's usually the brown ones. There's more brown ones than any other color in the package. And then you get to sort of the bright colors, the blues and stuff. There tend to be less of those. Or the, I don't know. I actually haven't kept track. I should start doing an Excel sheet, but that'll be a project maybe later. So my thinking, though, what's going on in my head is that should there be an M&M uprising of some sort? the largest group would be the one you have to deal with the most. They would be the most dangerous of the group. So they have to be quelled or quashed first. So whichever color has the most numbers, you have to eat first. And then you go down and commit your genocide of M&Ms down to the last remaining group until all the M&Ms have been exterminated. Now, one of my favorite stories from the internet, and I have no idea if this is true, but it is a good story is that there was a guy who would take two M&Ms and push them against each other. And then one would crack and he would eat the cracked one. And then he would continue until there was one M&M and that was the strongest M&M in the bag. And he would mail that one back to the M&M company for breeding purposes to make stronger M&Ms. And that kind of Darwinism, that kind of evolutionary theory and breeding and stuff, I found that to be a, a cute little story. But the sum total of this is that people live their lives and you're not gonna understand every aspect of their life. But the fact that I eat food the way I do is none of your business really. So if you wanna come and make an issue of it, you can go ahead and try. But I can tell you right now that my food consumption is more organized and efficient than almost everyone you know. And that 
is how people need to live their lives to make the world a better place. So Cora question, how come MMA fighters never try to fight Aikido practitioners? Now, I think the inherent bias here is that someone practices Aikido and is saying that Aikido is so high level that the MMA fighters are afraid. They're afraid of how badly they'll get beaten by the Aikido guys. If I was going to address this question honestly, the answer would be, you should change it to MMA fighters never bother to fight Aikido practitioners. Aikido is great theoretically, but it is not particularly effective when you actually need to fight someone. Because Aikido relies a lot on being able to catch someone's hand or arm or specifically their wrist, which is not an easy thing to do. So Aikido would work best if someone walked up to you and grabbed you by the jacket and then gave you a moment to start your move. Then you would have a chance. Any MMA guy is not going to do that. He's going to start clobbering you around the head and stomach. He's going to do kicks to the head and side and leg until he gets you a little bit discombobulated and he's going to take you to the ground. It's going to be ground and pound. I could tell you that's how it's going to go. Now, I practice judo and judo while is designed to be a sport it's not particularly the most effective thing in a street fight or a practical application but a lot of judo guys transfer to mma successfully because the base skills of judo are pretty good and learning how to punch and kick isn't technically that much harder than what you've already learned in judo there's actually a lot of guys who do kicking and punching sports and they find it more difficult to learn how to take people to the ground and fight on the ground or throw and things like that. So it's good to come from wrestling, judo, something like that and go into MMA than it is actually to go from boxing and kickboxing and then learn those other skills like judo and stuff. Again, that's not to say one's better than the other because they're different. If you are really good at judo, you want to be up close to someone and get control of their body. If you are really good at punching and kicking, you want to be far enough to be able to punch and kick them. This is something I think I've actually dealt with. Who's the better martial artist? The who's the better fighter? What's the best martial art? It's actually the person. If the person knows what they're doing, if they were going to fight me, they would know I cannot get close to him. He's going to grab me and try to throw me to the ground because that's what I've learned my whole life. And if they weren't very good, I would be able to close that distance and actually attack them the way I would like. Here is a story from way back when in Japan. They were trying to decide. They needed to train the police officers in some kind of martial art to sort of bolster their hand-to-hand skills. Because Japan, most of the cops don't carry guns. If they actually have to attack someone or fight someone, it's just going to be with their hands. They had to decide between sort of the national sports, the martial arts that are available here. So they were trying to decide primarily between judo and aikido. So they had an actual demonstration of aikido and judo where those two martial arts, they had those guys fight each other. And the straight-up reality is that judo clobbered aikido. And it's because when it came down to it, they could take them to the ground and beat them on the ground. And Aikido practitioners just don't do that enough to be able to be successful. Now, I think if you put someone who is highly talented and skilled in MMA, they would always consistently beat someone who is highly skilled in Judo because they have all those skills plus more. And Judo basically has all the Aikido skills in it plus more. So this isn't theoretical. They actually had this tournament where judo guys fought Aikido guys and the judo guys won. So police departments in Japan adopted judo as their martial art. But this question also fails on a second level because 
they have fought MMA guys versus Aikido guys. And you can find those videos on the internet. And the MMA guys almost 100% of the time win. Because a guy who's practiced punching, you're not going to be able to catch his punch. And if you're going to try to catch his punch, he's probably going to back off and kick you in the head. There is actually very little proper defensive technique in Aikido because it counts on you catching the limb properly and then doing one fluid motion. The reality is a guy who's really strong isn't going to let any of those steps happen. He's going to throw his punch and then sort of measure your, what you do. If you actually manage to catch his hand, he's going to yank it away because they are incredibly strong. And then probably as he's yanking it away, that's when the foot is going to come up and connect with your head. So all you have to do is go online and search Aikido versus MMA or MMA versus Aikido, and you'll find those videos. They don't make them anymore. They don't get produced anymore because MMA guys don't waste their time with these Aikido guys. Pre-UFC, they actually did this. They actually, the whole UFC concept actually came out of this idea of let's have kung fu guys and karate guys and judo guys and stuff all fight each other and then we would find out who the ultimate fighter is but back then it was the jiu-jitsu guys who knew how to punch who won almost every match so the judo guys did really well the jiu-jitsu guys tended to do better because they practice a little bit more and they were starting to throw punching and kicking into the mix uh the taekwondo guys the kung fu guys the uh karate guys all these other stand-up fights they did really well as long as they stayed standing up but as soon as they got into someone who knew what was going on and took them to the ground, they didn't know how to fight from the ground, and that's when they would start to lose. So that's why MMA guys don't fight other sports anymore, because we've actually kind of proven which is the ultimate discipline. And no surprise, the ultimate discipline is the one that takes bits from all the other disciplines and applies what's most effective. MMA is not a single martial art. It takes from judo, it takes from boxing, it takes from kung fu, it takes from kickboxing, it takes from all these other things, and it takes the bits that work, and it starts trying to use as many as possible. Unfortunately, the bias in the question was amusing to me enough to actually want to talk about it. But it also brought up an interesting point where this point has been proven multiple times, that Aikido, it's a great activity, it's just not a real-world strategy for a solution when it comes to a conflict. So I have created the self-persona, my own image, as a manly man. I try to do so much so that I actually make fun of my own efforts of trying to be manly. So not only do I put effort into being as manly as I possibly can, I actually realize I've gone so far that it's almost stupid that I make fun of them, my efforts to be manly. So that sort of self-awareness is probably why other people accept it. They find it acceptable that I am trying to be a manly man all the time, do manly things like I want to pick up heavy things uh, and I want to grow beards. And uh, I go to judo and I talk about, you know, being rough and tumble with other manly men in a totally not gay way. So I have spent a lot of my time around other manly men who do manly men things. And I have come to have an intimate knowledge of the attitude of the manly man and what is and what is not acceptable. So should I ever be in a position where I'm writing a movie, I would know immediately what is and what is not acceptable for manly men to talk about with other manly men. Back in 1991... So this is how long ago this thing has happened and how deeply it has struck me as being incorrect. 
that I still to this day remember it. It came up in a conversation with someone else and I said, do you know or do you remember? And the, the question, the problem is that the people I were talking to maybe were too young to have seen this film, but it was, do you remember when Brandon Lee complimented Dolph Lundgren's penis? So you have to go back to 1991 and watch the movie Showdown in Little Tokyo. And Brandon Lee, famous son of martial arts movie extraordinaire, Bruce Lee, was in movies. Now, he's not the lead in this film. He doesn't really become the lead until he does The Crow. The Crow is where he unfortunately died. And we didn't get to see where his career would take him. So he's sort of the supporting character in this film. And he is working alongside Dolph Lundgren. Now, the idea is that Dolph Lundgren is a giant... He's the hero, so he's the manliest of the manly men within this situation. Brandon Lee is also a manly man, but if he's, of course, the live Asian guy. This is the kind of movie where they probably... I haven't seen it since 1991 or probably 1995 or something like that. But this is the kind of movie where I, I almost guarantee without having seen it that there is a naked woman with sushi on her body. Like That's the kind of thing they were doing in the early 90s in action movies. And the early 90s were prime real estate for Yakuza in film. So all the Asian actors, you were playing Japanese Yakuza toughs all the time. And it was a boom. The Yakuza were the guys. Because this is the 90s. is the end of the sort of Japanese bubble era where they were the most powerful nation in the world for a little bit, economically speaking. So the Yakuza were the most economically powerful crime organizations in the world so they were always the prime targets so everyone wanted to to fight the yakuza or get into the yakuza or sneak in the yakuza so the premise of the film is two cops have to work together to bring down the yakuza the whole yakuza by the way not just some of them not the ones working in their city all of the yakuza while trying to protect a beautiful woman tia carrera is the love interest in this film so as opposed to me explaining or trying to reenact the scene for you, because first of all, I'd have to do two voices, Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren, and I'd probably mess them both up. I went and got the clip off the internet. Because this clip is now so famous if you were alive in the 90s and you're into action movies and all this kind of stuff. And again, it's so wrong. It's so how not two men talk to each other that it sticks in your memory decades later. So you can just find this clip on the internet. I am tempted to go back and watch the whole film to see if my recollections are correct because I believe at one point Dolph Lundgren jumps over a car that's driving towards him. But I went and got the clip off the internet. Where's Monaco? She's in my room. I knew that was going to happen. She was frightened. I saw you strip down for that hot tub. I'd be frightened too. Kenneth. Just in case we get killed, I wanted to tell you, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on you. Thanks. I don't know what to say. How about don't get killed? Don't get killed. You too. Okay, so let's break down this scene piece by piece. Because initially, what you need to know is they're in a house. They, it's basically a safe house. Uh, it's very Asian-themed, by the way. I think everything in the movie is. They are about to be assaulted in their house by a variety of Yakuza types. Where's Monaco? She's in my room. I knew that was going to happen. She was frightened. She was frightened, so I had sex with her. So this is the kind of level of sort of empathy we're working at. When a woman is frightened, the only thing you can do to calm her humors is to have sexual intercourse with her. 
Now, Brandon Lee is saying that he knew this was going to happen. He knew that as soon as a woman saw Dolph Lundgren, this giant hulking man, that they would have sex. But, again, I think that maybe is a fair thing. He does know. He saw the natural, raw sexuality of both of those people and knew that they would be attracted to each other. So nothing there is untoward. That's actually fair. He says... I knew you were going to have sex. He goes, ah, well, that's what happens. She was scared. And that was my excuse for having sexual intercourse. Uh, Pre-marriage, by the way. So you know I don't approve. I saw you strip down for that hot tub. I'd be frightened too. So here is where it gets a little weird. Playing off the last statement of she was scared, Brandon Lee has decided to make this about Dolph Lundgren's penis. So you're about to be attacked by Yakuza. You're about to be assaulted. You're about to fight for your life. Your concern is where the woman is that you're protecting. She's had sex with your partner. That's fine. I think this is the most appropriate time in all of history to start talking about my partner's penis and how big it is. It is so big that she should have been frightened of your penis and not the fact that the Yakuza are coming to get her. The fact that the Yakuza are coming to get her to kill her is not as scary as the sheer volume and size of Dolph Lundgren's penis. Kenneth, just in case we get killed, I wanted to tell you. Now there is a small cut in there that you probably can't hear, but they've changed to a later point in the scene as they prepared the house, they're preparing for the assault. Uh, Dolph Lundgren has the shotgun in his hand, which is that you're going to hear at the end, which everyone loves. I mean, I'm sorry if you don't enjoy that scene where the guy sort of chucks the shotgun up in the air and pulls it down so he can cock it with one hand. Cock it. (laughs) So if you don't enjoy that, I think you don't enjoy life. But that is, again, a separate issue. Maybe I'll address things that you should enjoy in, in a later podcast. But here we are later... After he's after Brandon Lee has already said you have a scary penis, he is now thinking we're about to be assaulted. We know it's coming really soon. There is a very great possibility we're going to die. I have to make sure I bring up Dolph Lundgren's penis again. So this is the second time in slightly extended period where Brandon Lee has not wanted to let go of this penis conversation. Biggest dick I've ever seen on you. Thanks. Dolph Lundgren says thank you. He says thanks if we're going to be specific, but he says thanks, and then he says I don't know what to say. And it's because you shouldn't know what to say. Men do not compliment other men's peni. That is just not how that works. I don't know if Brandon Lee is heterosexual in this film, but there is a very strong implication within these action movies that all men are heterosexual. But I know that two heterosexual manly men will never talk about their peni. They will not talk about them in relation to each other. They will not comment on their width or girth or length. They will not get into the penis as a topic because it is too uncomfortable for the heterosexual manly man to get into because that is too much approaching intimacy and the homosexuality realm. Now, I... On this podcast, because again, I have so foregone the manly man nature, I have gone almost through it and past it, I have actually told penis stories on this podcast. If you have not heard them, they're wonderful. I did one while I was drunk and I did one while I was sober. They're great stories because they're all really embarrassing for me. But if another man complimented my penis... I would have no idea what to say. So this is the only, in this whole thing, that is the only piece of dialogue I agree with. I don't know what to say because that is the only natural thing you can do. 
anything you say at that point is going to be weird. Like, hey, yours too. Or, hey, thanks a lot. I've been working on it. There is nothing you can say that fits naturally into this conversation. It all goes back to because this is not something men do with each other. I don't know what to say. How about don't get killed? After Dolph Lundgren says, I don't know what to say, Brandon Lee switches it to how about don't get killed, which again, just doesn't really make sense. We were talking about Dolph Lundgren's penis. We're talking about how big it is. And we've decided to turn it on to let's both hope that I don't die in hopes that I can see your penis again. This doesn't work because these two topics don't relate well enough to each other. They certainly, one is not a bridge to the other. We're going to die. You have a big penis. Thanks for telling me I have a big penis. Please wish that I won't die. And then the only thing I can think of is so that we can talk about our penises some more. Specifically your penis. My penis hasn't come into this. I'm Brandon Lee at the moment. My penis hasn't come into this, but I have a lot of more I want to say about your penis. In this moment where we are going to perhaps die in the next action sequence, I may not get to express all the things I want to express about your penis. Therefore, I need to say this, at least this, you have a big dong right now. And if I don't die, so I really want you to hope that I don't die so that we can revisit this topic and I can give you more detailed notes on what I think about your penis. This is reaching the climax of the movie and this is supposed to be where the two heroes, who of course at the beginning did not like each other, did not get along, they did not like each other's methodologies. Uh, this is where they have decided that they are friends they have decided to seal the bond of brotherhood as they go into battle one last time, perhaps to die. And the way the writer decided to seal this deal was to talk about really one of the only things that two men would never really talk about, the penis. The only thing I can say in conclusion is this is some of the worst writing in a film I have ever encountered. And it's only because it's not intended to be funny. It's supposed to be an intimate moment where two men connect about something and then go into battle to perhaps die for each other, for that love, that bond of brotherhood. Talking about the size of someone's dong is not how you get to that point. If this only works if this is a comedy making fun of other action movies. But this would only be funny if you knew that this scene existed. But now that you know this scene exists, hopefully we can spread it out there more, get everyone to see Showdown in Little Tokyo, made in 1991. And given the opportunity, if you are in a life and death situation, please make sure you tell the person you're about to go into battle with that they have the biggest penis you've ever seen. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. So, and certainly one of the impedi for my fascination with Asian and probably the impetus for a lot of young men's yellow fever, if you want to use the idiom. <laughs>